and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Natasha Livingston, the podcast's editor. This week, we're going to cover an issue which I feel is one of the biggest problems facing modern Britain. I sat down with Francis Green, co-author of the new book, Engines of Privilege, Britain's Private School Problem, to discuss potential solutions and how Brexit could make abolishing private schools a little easier. Here now with more news, debate and opinion. So in 2014, Alan Bennett famously said, private education is not fair. Those who provide it know it, those who pay for it know it, and those who receive it know it or should. Why do schools that educate just 7% of the population but account for 74% of judges and 29% of MPs still exist? Because of history that moments in, 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 in the development of the education system when we might have taken a different turn, uh, we try to identify some of these in in, in uh, our book and say what we think went wrong and how we might do it differently this time. One of the times was around the time of the Second World War when the post-war education system was being set up and Rab Butler successfully sidestepped the pressures for reform, particularly coming from uh, institutions such as the TUC and the left of the Labour Party, and they sidestepped to reform. And then after the war, when the Attlee government came in, one of the main problems was that Attlee himself was very much wedded to uh, the private school system, having been, having been particularly keen on his own private school. Then came later the, uh, the Crossland period in the 1950s and 1960s. And during the 1960s, they set up a what was called a public schools commission which was supposed to be identifying ways of reforming or even abolishing private schools in Britain, but it ended up suggesting uh, none of those things and was pretty well ridiculed publicly and private school reform was (coughs) sidestepped again. Now it's moved half a century from 1968 till now, and yet we still have no private school reforms on the political table. And it was partly through frustration at the lack of contestation of this, either by the right or the left of the political spectrum, that we uh, moved ourselves to write this book. We, we think that there are people around who would like to talk more about uh, the private school problem, as we call it. Um, and we think that our book will have failed if it doesn't st- stimulate Uh, further debate and and kind of enlighten further debate uh, in the immediate and in the medium term. But there are, there have been reasons holding it back. There are, I mean, if you look at the number of Guardian writers, for example, who have themselves been privately educated and lots of politicians have also somehow got some involvement with private education. And even though they might want to have a fairer system, feel it might be accused of being hypocritical if they suggest reforms of it. We try to avoid that uh, track in our book and suggest that um, the politics of his hypocrisy really has no uh, uh, productive uh, solution to it. We're not going to end the private school system by somehow persuading parents not to send their children to private school and do the best for their own children. That's not the point. It's reforming the system itself rather than somehow making parents feel guilty about it. 
and also rather than just somehow optimistically waiting for the state school system to reform sufficiently that parents no longer want to send their children to private school. And as you mentioned in the introduction to the book, both yourself and David Kiniston were privately educated. How mm. has this shaped your perspective of these engines of privilege? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, probably shaped it, in my experience, through thinking about the problem for a long time. Uh, having been to a private school myself, though not my children, um, it's it's led me to research this area for uh, more than 10 years now so that I, I know fully the facts of the matter. On the whole, I think my experience shouldn't matter. The truth or otherwise or propositions shouldn't really depend on who's actually saying it. And although I do have my own personal experiences of what a private school looked like in the 1960s, uh, private schools have actually changed a considerable amount since then. They've become extremely rich organisations. So I'm not even sure that my own personal experiences you know, can be trusted as a, as a great uh, source of data, if you like, for the uh, facts that we produced in the book. In your opinion, what are the most damaging consequences of the private school system in Britain today? That it perpetuates inequality in the education system. The gross concentration of resources in the private sector, something like three times, at least three times the resource per child in the private sector, is very inefficient. It's just crass to have, let's say, another playing field added to a private school when it's already got 20, when there's a state school down the road that's only got one playing field and could certainly do with a second one. Then you have the enormous undemocratic consequences of private school people dominating positions of public influence in our society and continuing to do so. They've already always has, but in the modern day and age when we're supposed to be living in a meritocratic world, that they still do just seems to me particularly grotesque. It is fundamentally unfair. You made that quotation from Alan Bennett uh, just recently. It's not just Alan Bennett's view, it's not just our view as the authors of the book. But we conducted a poll, uh, a nationally representative poll through populace of the population, and 63% of the population agreed that it was unfair. Only 18% opposed it. Only 18% thought somehow that it was fair. So we think that Alan Bennett on the right side there, and fundamentally it's, it's, it just offends against the sense of fairness that people should have, have an equal opportunity in life through, the, through our public education system. I think it's fascinating that um, you say 18% of people did feel it was fair when only, you know, on average 7 to 9% of people attend private schools. That's really interesting <laughs> why do you think that is well that's another good another good question exactly where do people's sense of fairness comes from i think some people have this view that if you've earned a lot of money then you're entitled to spend it in exactly the way you like and it could be that some of that 18 percent are um or should we say of a libertarian frame of mind uh, that you you can spend your money on what you what you like, and we have to respect that view up to a point that 
people do have different differing amounts of money and wealth um, and up to a point one could say well if you want to spend it on rich holidays and rich if you've got mega riches you spend it on yachts then we're not going to propose laws to prevent you to do that and probably shouldn't do however education is different we really sincerely believe that education is not just another commodity like luxury goods. Education is something which is for life. It shapes who we are, how we grow, how we develop, and it shapes the nature of our society. So I don't agree with those people amongst the 18% who, who might argue the libertarian perspective. So that's my possible answer as to why people think it's, it's, it's fair to have such inequality, but uh, we'd need to do some more asking of those people as to exactly why they think it's fair. Your book is very clear that private education is deeply rooted in Britain, but you also discuss potential solutions to the private school problem. Could you outline what you think they are? There are two kinds of solutions. One would be solutions which try to dampen down, reduce parental demand for private education. And the other set of solutions is somehow to integrate them with the, with the state school system. So in the first kind, you have uh, potential reforms. For example, in uh, the last election, the Labour Party manifesto included a promise to uh, raise VAT on school fees. And that would certainly have reduced the demand for private schools to some extent because it would have put the price up. Perhaps we calculate about 30 or 40,000 children would be priced out of the private sector and would join the state sector and that would reduce the net amount of gain for the exchequer if you like from from imposing that tax but actually 30 or 40,000 children switching is not very big there are about half a million or more than half a million children in private schools in Britain so 30 or 40,000 isn't very much Lord Adonis, in fact, proposed an even larger tax in the House of Lords about 18 months ago, of 25%, in other words, greater than VAT. So that would have had a marginally higher effect still. Another way of doing it is to have what we call contextual admissions, perhaps quotas or some kind of uh, rule for university entrance, which would mean that universities would have to uh, discriminate a little bit in favour of state school children over private school children. So that's another way which we discuss in the book and the potential advantages and disadvantages of that. On the whole though, we prefer schemes which would oblige uh, private schools to start to take in uh, mem uh, uh, people from state schools, particularly people from lower income families, chosen somehow from lower income families. Um, one of our favourite proposals is one which we call a fair access scheme, which would oblige all private schools to take in one third of their intake year by year uh, from low income families. The intake would then be paid for by the state at the same rate as the state pays for its own uh, pupils in the, in, in the public in, in, in the state school system about £5,500 a year per child, depending on the level of education. So the private schools would then have to uh, 
to some extent make that up from their bursary funds uh, and other cuts in their other uh, resources so th so that they were able to continue. And we think that that would be a, a really significant breakthrough to over the years build up one third, uh, at least one third of the children from state school sector to break down this exclusive social composition of children in private schools. And in the long term, this would seriously change the nature of the, those schools, but preserve their good qualities and indeed make those their good qualities available for all, potentially all or any member of the public. Now, to some people listening, they might see that the abolition of private schools feels like the most just way forward. Um, why do you not see this as a viable option? Many people have argued over the years for the abolition of private schools, though without necessarily specifying exactly what that means. Um, the, there is one legal barrier with uh, abolition of private schools, which is uh, the European Convention of Human Rights, which asserts that everyone has the right to open their own uh, private school. Um, so if we were to abolish the schools, we would certainly have to uh, contravene that European Convention. This is not uh, necessarily completely impossible and, and, and ironically enough would become less difficult to do if uh, if and when Brexit goes ahead. But it will be an enormous political hurdle. And it's in our judgment, it's not necessary to abolish those schools uh, in order to achieve the reform aims that we have, which is essentially to make the good qualities of those schools available to everyone. And indeed, if you say abolition of those schools to many people of a moderate frame of mind, the reason why they object to it is they say, well, actually, those are very good schools. And in many respects, not all, in many respects, they are good schools. So there will be a strong argument for not abolishing them on that on, on those grounds. I think it's it's just difficult, isn't it? Because, as you say, fundamentally, they are unfair. So even if they're good schools, the problem is, is that they're good schools. They're only available for those who can can pay for it. Um, and I think it's interesting, for example, Eton, I think now that a third of their cohort uh, are on bursaries. But I mean, do you see mainly it being the political will that would make it difficult to abolish private schools or the respect that the institutions have in society? Well, I think the political will is an enormous hurdle to get over, especially with the very, very strong vested interests. Um, it depends exactly what one means by abolishing schools. If it meant that the schools were there and then just become part of the state system, then that's just really an extension of what we're suggesting, which is that starting off, there should be a third of the schools chosen from uh, the whole population, or and particularly means tested, so that only so that the low income uh, pupils could then balance the higher income pupils who would be paying their fees. So in, in our long term perspective, that third of students would actually get increased up to 50 percent and maybe furthermore up to 70, 75 percent perhaps over the very long term. Um, but it seems to me it's not necessary to 
completely abolish fee-paying in order to achieve the uh, equalizing reform objectives that, that we should have, which is to equalize or move substantially towards equalizing the social composition of schools uh, while preserving the, the, the high qualities that are available in those institutions. So do you see the future evolution of private schools to be that there'll always be a fee-paying element? You don't see that um, being removed or necessarily that it should be removed anytime soon? It would be nice to get to a situation where uh, the fee-paying is a small and largely irrelevant element in the country's education system. I don't see that coming about in the near future, but it could be seen as a long-term aim, and it's not unfeasible. We see that in some other countries, uh, in Scandinavia, for example. So um, it seems to me that if one sets one's sights on abolition in the near future, that's risky because it's very likely to fail given the amount of political opposition that there would be. And a much more feasible option is to go for a proportion of integration, a partial integration between the state school system and the, and the private school system. I want to see part of the private schools, if you like, as an outsourced part of the state school system, Sim in, a, in a way that similarly independent academies are like the government outsourcing its education to uh, to to the trustees of these academies, then we'll be outsourcing our state school education to these private schools, which many of which are very good schools. One thing that's quite interesting in this context is that last week Michael Gove said that um, private schools create quote fundamental inequality in society and that he would like to see them end. And this statement is rather surprising because he kept quite quiet on this issue when he was education secretary himself. Um, so do you think that um, you could see the abolition of private schools under a Tory government or is Michael Gove just spouting? <laughs> Certainly Michael Gove is an interesting character. You're absolutely right to, to point out that he was Minister of Education for a, a number of years and could theoretically have, have followed this path down, um, although I'm sure he would have found enormous uh, opposition uh, within the cabinet at the time, led by Cameron and Clegg, both private school children. So, yes, reform is bubbling under, and it's not confined to people from the left. And Mo Michael Gove is one of the one of the examples, not perhaps many of them, one of the examples of important people on the right of the political spectrum who've uh, recognised that there are problems. Going back to Eton, you say, well, lots of children at Eton are now uh, on bursaries. Yes, that's true. I mean, talking about Eton there is one of the richest schools there is. Um, and it may, in the long term, be able to get more and more children on bursaries, well, that is to say on full bursaries. But at the moment, if you look across pri all private school children, only 1% of private school children are actually free, going there for free. And the amount of money that's spent on bursaries is only 4% of 
with their turnover. So for all the talk in general of getting bursaries as a solution, it doesn't actually amount to anything when you really look at the numbers. I'm an economist and I look at the numbers and I see, well, it was 4% now, it was 4% back eight, 10 years ago. There don't, don't seem to be any progress on this. Um, and indeed, when you think about the numbers, for most schools, it would be totally impossible to get funds big enough that they could, let's say, provide 100% bursaries for a third of their children. The, the sums of money that they would need to raise from their benefactors and from their alumni would be simply enormous, perhaps £300 million per school or something like that. Going, but going back to the aims of the book in general, I think that the most important thing is to get the problem aired and discussed and the potential solutions aired and discussed in a wider arena and uh, that the politicians and our policy makers are induced to come to the table and start discussing things and not running away from it. And if we achieve just something towards that in this book, then uh, then we'll be pleased. No, I, I think it's really important because I went to uh, a comprehensive state school in York and then Hi. me going to, because I study um, at Durham University um, and it's always felt like a big issue for me. But then in the public arena, it's just not really discussed and it's crazy. I, I agree with you and, and uh, we're, we're absolutely on the same same side there. David and I, are, my co-author and I, are a little bit optimistic that the last few years, and even now, there's a positive current for reform bubbling up and that um, uh, we hope that a long last education will come to be seen as a, a central part of socialism and that we can't possibly have an equal opportunities education system while we have this grotesque private school system looming above us. Here now with more news, debate and opinion.